interesting sometimes to um, after you've preached uh, when 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 you people are leaving and they're talking to you as they leave um, a phrase that you don't really want to hear is that was a nice sermon I, I, I allow it if it's somebody's second language and they, they don't have quite the same sort of uh, grasp of English perhaps but to somebody to say it was a nice sermon you're taught at school not to use nice aren't you that's one of the phrases we, we used to do a little exercise where the teacher would fill out a sentence and put nice in and you had to replace it with a better, more appropriate word. The reason I'm mentioning that now is because this quite clearly isn't a nice sermon today. You can get a gist of where we're going if you've, if you've picked up, well I can pick up the thread because I've, because I picked the readings. But in, 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 in Psalm chapter, or Psalm number one, the, the ungodly are like the chaff scattered. There was darkness over the land at the crucifixion. And we read and we have these similarities in Joel. The hymn that we've just led into this uh, this sermon um, finishes with this verse. But if still a total stranger to his precious name and blood, thou art on the brink of danger, canst thou face a holy God? Think and tremble. Think and tremble. Death is now upon the road. Last time we were in Joel, we looked at the valley of Jehoshaphat. And we saw that they had two meanings that, that complemented each other. The valley of judgment and the valley of blessing. We're looking today at the valley of uh, decision. As we read in verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, this isn't a separate valley. We haven't got the valley of Jehoshaphat and the valley of decision. We've got the valley. And these are just names that are given. So it's it's not a second valley. It's a second visit to the same valley. And when we repeat something in scripture, we know it's a deliberate repeat for our benefit, for emphasis. What we have here is a different name and more detail. We know, don't we, that names in the Bible have very specific meanings and there's a lot of significance in the name. So what we have in the Valley of Decision, if you read your marginal notes... You also have or concision or threshing. And that's perhaps a very helpful title, the valley of threshing. We also carry on the theme that runs through the book of Joel. For the day of the Lord is near. We're reminded once more of the day of the Lord. I've got a very helpful quote from O. Palmer Robertson and his um, little commentary on Joel. He says, This picture continues the imagery of the day of the Lord in Joel. For the prophesied day of the Lord already has been realised in, in a number of ways. First, the day of the Lord came for Joel's contemporaries with the plague of locusts. 
Then the day of the Lord came with the gracious restoration of the years that the locusts had eaten. Next, the day of the Lord came at Pentecost when the Lord of the Sabbath day poured out his spirit on all flesh. But now Joel speaks of the final day of the Lord. It is the day on which all nations will assemble for judgment. This is where we take up our, our, our theme for this evening. We're going to look at the valley of decision and we have three headings taken from um, verses uh, 14, 15 and 16. So we have, firstly, we will see threshing. Then secondly, we will see the darkness and then thirdly, we will see the roaring. So firstly then, threshing. What do we have here and what does this mean? This is a theme that runs, uh, and an image and uh, an example that runs right through the Old Testament. This was very much a fishing and farming uh, community. So they grew crops. A lot of the stories that are told relate to fishing and farming and agriculture. And you can pick many examples throughout the Old Testament of, 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 um, the threshing being used, the, the separating of the, the wheat and the chaff. Uh, a very famous one is, is in the book of Ruth, when, uh, when Boaz was, uh, winnowing the, uh, uh, the wheat and the corn and Ruth went to the, the threshing floor at night. What they would do is, is, is when the, 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 the crops were ready, they would separate them and take the husks away, the edge bits, the, the shells that were of no value and leave, uh, the, the bit that they wanted that they could, uh, use in the production of food. So we see, and we have a very helpful parable here in Matthew. Matthew carries, uh, Matthew's gospel carries on. Jesus tells the parable in, uh, Matthew chapter 13. And this is a helpful one just to help us understand the valley of decision. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, we pick up the, the parable. Another parable put he forth unto them. This is Jesus saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he saith unto him, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Slightly different example there, but we have the separation of the wheat and the tares, letting them grow, <laughs> letting them grow till the harvest time, and then they will be harvested. But then there will be a separation. We understand, don't we, that we're not talking here exclusively 
about agriculture. We use these helpful natural examples to understand and to point towards spiritual principles. What do we mean then by the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the chaff? What is the purpose of the threshing? The threshing was to separate the wheat and the rest of it, the the scraps, so that the chaff could be swept away and burnt and destroyed and the wheat would be gathered into the harvest barns. So the wheat is the good bit, the good, the bit that was of use. And that speaks to us of Christians, those who trust in Jesus Christ. The chaff who will be discarded are those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. This is a repeated theme constantly through the scriptures. In case we miss it the first time and we miss it the second time, it's here again and it's here again and it's here again. Art thou still a stranger to God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you the wheat or are you the tares? Verse 14 opens with these words, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. So how many people have been gathered into the valley of decision? It's not multitudes, is it? It's multitudes upon multitudes. How many people can that be? Again, when we have a repetition like this, it's to emphasise and to take these things on to an exponential level. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. It doesn't just mean vanity. It, it Vanity of vanities, the repetition there, the repeat of the vanity to emphasise the utter futility. We talk of the king of kings, don't we? It's not just the king. He's the king of kings, the lord of all. <clears throat> multitudes, multitudes. We cannot number. This would suggest sort of what, as many people as you can possibly imagine in all directions, and, and then more, and then more. This is the gathering together of the entire human race from all time. It's also been suggested that we have multitudes, multitudes to separate again the wheat and the chaff, gather together for the judgment. That's a possibility, but the, the, the more likely rendering is multitudes, multitudes, the, the exponential growth and, and multiplication of, of the multitudes, the unnumberable, immeasurable gathering of the people in the valley of decision. It's important that we point out at this point, at this stage, it is not the gathering of the people for them to decide. The decision has been made. They are being gathered to be judged based on the decision that has already been made by the Lord. And as they gather together in this, how do they stand? And that is a question that they must answer for themselves, regardless of the fact that the nations have been gathered, multitude upon multitude has been brought in. How do you stand personally today before God? Don't hide, don't think you can hide 
behind the multitudes, behind the nations, behind the history of this world. How would you stand if the Lord calls you today? The day of the Lord is near. When will that be? I don't know. You don't know. But it is near. Are you ready? Pause my soul and ask the question. Art thou ready to meet God? We see threshing in the valley of decision, the separation of the wheat and the chaff. The judgment upon the people. Secondly, we see in verse 16, or verse 15, sorry, and the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. We read from Matthew's gospel earlier on, didn't we? And we looked at the most famous occasion when there was darkness over the land for three hours while Christ was on the cross. So we have a a repeat of that here. Matthew in his gospel also tells us, if we can just turn perhaps once more to Matthew's gospel in chapter 27. Is that the one? No, uh, we'll jump back. I think it's Matthew 24. Actually, sorry, I'm giving you... Yeah, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. And again, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. In those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. There's Jesus talking about the day when he shall come again. Joel also prophesies of that day. And the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. At the crucifixion, there was darkness over the land for three hours. Prior to the crucifixion, Jesus called the darkness as an occasion that would accompany his second coming. Joel here points forward to that second coming. Joel also, in the poetic language of, of, of his prophecy, quotes himself. If we turn back a chapter to chapter 2 and verse 10, the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. So he's quoting himself again. In case you missed it here, I'm telling you it here. In case you think it applied only to the ungodly nations, your enemies, it is here, it is applying to you also. All must be ready. So it's interesting then to sort of to think, why have we got this darkness? What is the purpose of the darkness? There's two real theories and they're perhaps both right um, and, and worth considering. The light of the sun and the moon and the stars would be eclipsed completely by the glory and the light of 
of the of the of the Lord's appearance. So there's a possibility that it, it's not a literal waning of the sun's light, but it's it's just an appearance of the waning because the glory of the Lord is so bright that the sun is is put into its its context and takes a secondary place. It may also stop shining for that very reason, so that the glory of the Lord could be seen. And also, it's worth considering that the sun did not need to shine anymore, and the moon did not need to reflect the sun's light, and the stars did not need to shine, because they would be no longer needed, because we are reached the end, and this is the judgment. There is no need for the sun, the moon, the stars. Well, what need could there be? For the created light. It had served its purpose. It has served through all creation. So we will either be in one of two states. We will either be in the light of the glory of God. When we are with him in eternity. Or we will be in a state of eternal darkness. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And there is no need for light. Because God has withdrawn his goodness and his blessing. So we see the decision again reinforced and emphasized. There is darkness in this land. Do we stand in the light of the glory of God or are we in a state of eternal darkness? Pause my soul and ask the question. Art thou ready to meet God? When we started into the the summary of this book and I said it was divided into two parts. Chapters 1 and most of chapter 2 up to verse 17 or 18 was the sort of the, the, the warnings and the, and the uh, consequences of sin. And then the second half from chapter 2 verse 18 to the end of, the cha- end of chapter 3 is the blessings. And now this might seem like a, a dark passage, but it's both dark and light, isn't it? The blessings are clearly there if you are one of God's children. Because you will be judged and you will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into thy rest and then the eternal glory of light and in the presence of God. And that is a great blessing and we must draw on these comforts and these great blessings. But if you are not one of God's children, this passage is not a passage of blessing. It is a passage of warning. Are you ready to meet God? How do you stand before God now? If you were called into the valley of decision today, how would you stand before God? So we've seen the threshing, the separation of the wheat and the chaff. We've seen the darkness which signifies the end of this time to be replaced by the glory and the light of God. And in the third, the third part, we see the roaring from verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. When we talk about a voice that roars, what... To is your immediate thought. It's loud. You can hear. I, 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 it's some staggering 
statistic. If you actually hear a, a lion's roar, you can hear it at, at miles. I don't know how many miles away it is, but you can hear apparently um, a long way away. Can you imagine the voice of the Lord? And the purpose of it being loud is so that all will hear it. There will be none excused. And so I didn't hear, I didn't know. When the Lord roars, everybody will hear. You can hear the roaring of God's voice in your own heart sometimes, can't you? When he speaks to you, you can hear him shouting in your own heart. You can hear it in in this world as you look around and you see the abominable acts and you see the judgments that we that we have in this world. But it's not so much just a loud noise. It's not just a roar as in a loud noise. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. It will be a coherent voice. The message will be clear. The words will be heard. Not just some loud noise, just for the sake of noise. There will be purpose and there will be words and it will be clear. And his voice will be clear instruction. It's interesting as well, isn't it, when you think of um, Elijah, how he didn't hear the Lord in the in the storms and in this and that, but he heard the still, small voice. Oftentimes the Lord speaks to us, doesn't he, in a still, small voice. Master, speak. We sang this morning, didn't we? Master, speak, thy servant heareth. And the Lord speaks to us in the quiet times, when we're on our own, when we're just in the presence of the scriptures and our Lord. And we hear him clearly. But sometimes there is a need and sometimes he roars and we must listen and hear the roar. We must respond. I'm just going to read a few verses that that are designed as an encouragement once again to Christians. And Paul is saying in Thessalonians, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So this is just an assurance to those who were concerned about those who had died and and um, believers who had died. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall and, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So you can see the scene The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. So this, again, is unmissable. The Lord will appear. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And listen to these words. Then we which are alive... And remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
comfort one another with these words. We will ever be with the Lord. And we will be in the presence of the Lord in the light of his glory. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. If we believe that Jesus died in the place of my for me, of me and took the paid the penalty for my sins. If we can all say that, if he died for me and we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, then we will be called to meet him in the air and we will be forever with the Lord and we will comfort one another with these words. So the roaring is to make sure that we are all without excuse. We hear the Lord. So we've seen three things from the valley of decision. The threshing, the separation of the wheat and the chaff, the darkness upon this earth that will be replaced by the light of his glory for those who trust in him. Or the eternal darkness that will continue for those who do not. And then we've seen and heard the roaring of the Lord. His voice will be heard. The earth will shake. Again, we read that, don't we? The, the earth will shake. Reminding us again of the power of the Lord. His very voice will shake the earth. Verse 17. So shall they know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And this is taking us towards the very few final verses of this great prophecy. So we've seen the darkness. We've experienced the threshing. We've heard the roaring of his voice. So shall ye know. And that is the purpose, to make us know. And we know that he is our God. No one else can do these things. No one else can judge the world. No one else can separate the wheat and the chaff. No one else can darken the world and then light it with his own glory. And no one else can roar and shake the world with his voice. To make us hear, to make us listen. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the provocation. If you hear his voice, call upon his name. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So shall you know that I am your God. And where do we find him? I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Where are we? Where do we find ourselves? In the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision. Where is he? On the mountain. A contrast, a nice poetic contrast for us again to understand we are in this valley that we have been herded into, gathered together. He sits upon his holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. What is holiness? In its simplest form, it's a separation from sin. To be separate from sin. How can that be the case then? How can Jerusalem be holy? How can it be separate from sin? It's because the judge has already judged his people and separated the, the chaff and moved the chaff and burnt the chaff 
and only his people are there. Jerusalem shall be holy. Jerusalem shall be separate from sin. And there shall no more strangers pass through her anymore. Once the decision has been made and the judgment has fallen, no more shall enter. It's like Noah's Ark, the door was closed and no more could be saved. Pause my soul and ask the question, art thou ready to meet God? The day will come when the Lord will judge and he will come suddenly and swiftly and he will judge this earth. How will it stand for you in the valley of decision? Regardless of those round about you, how is it with you? Where do you stand before the Lord today? If he calls you and he calls your name and asked you to give account, how could you answer today? Do you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If the answer to that is yes, then you will have the great blessings of the eternal light, the eternal glory with our heavenly father. The answer is no, you have eternal darkness and you have uh, eternal punishment in sin, separated from God, separated from all that is good. And again, that is not a state that anybody wants to find themselves in. Call upon the name of the Lord today if you hear his voice. Amen.